Hello, is this thing on? Welcome back to another episode of Energy 101. We know that it's been a while. We apologize. Sorry. We've been busy. <laughs> um, if you watched our webinar with Michael Minham Robinson a couple months ago with Chuck, you recognize these two lovely ladies. Lauren and Ashley are two favorite energy lawyers. They are here to school us on everything energy law, energy trial, um, and why it's important to just kind of be in the know. No one likes to get sued. No one likes to get called to be a part of a trial. So I'm excited to kind of learn how we can protect ourselves and what all that, what all goes into being a part of a trial. Hopefully. I'm excited <laughs> too because yeah. this isn't a topic that you hear about every day. No. It's not something that you're just like, oh yeah, um, all of this about an energy trial. So I'm excited to dive in and get all the fun tidbits from y'all. Right. And we try to make it fun. Yeah. We think right. it's yeah. fun. Oh, Obviously. It's fun. That's what we do for a living. living. Yeah. The trials that you hear about <laughs> are not the trials that we're doing. <laughs> they are yeah. not the ones that are covered by court TV <clears throat> or later featured in Dateline, generally. So, <laughs> no, Johnny right? Depp and no. Amber Heard yeah. trials. No, no. Not, maybe unfortunately. It's <laughs> interesting. But um, no, so it's different. And I think people have a lot of questions and there's a lot of confusion, yeah. too, because you know, there aren't shows or, you know, law and yeah. order that generally talk about this kind of You have trial. So, so many expectations after watching something on TV mm -hmm. and you think this is what it's going to be like to do a trial or right. prepare for one. And it is not like that at all. Yeah. These are years in the making. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I hope that, I mean, no one listening ever has to sit through any sort of trial for any reason. But I think if you find yourself in that situation, I feel like I'll be excited or at least like feel a little better to like have some background knowledge of mm -hmm. what terminology and what to do. And then I know before we started recording, um, also just some best practices on how in our daily work lives, we can just be conscious of protecting ourselves and the company should anything arise in the future. Well, and you're right to want to educate the audience and talk to the audience about these things because you're right. Knowledge is power. And there are things that if you know from the beginning, you can avoid making mistakes really early on that, right. you know, you wouldn't have made if you had known. So we were going to walk through, you know, to that point, kind of a few different scenarios that people would maybe find themselves yeah, in. Yeah, absolutely. In, you know, the energy trial context, I guess you could say. But you <laughs> yeah, or your company yeah. is sued. Let's okay. do it. Let's Just as a general yes. matter, like you or your company is sued. And I usually will kind of cover more from you're an employee at an energy company or you are running an energy company perspective. And sometimes Ashley can kind of cover more of and we can talk about that given the differences sometimes in the kind of cases we have. But um, first thing off, whether you're running a company, working for a company, don't send emails about the lawsuit. <laughs> right. So <laughs> well, you yeah, get that's sued. always yeah. the first thing is like, oh, no, I can't believe this happened. And then you type off an email to the team either potentially mischaracterizing something or yeah. saying something that is going to be twisted and held against you later. And you can't take it back once it's in writing and once it's in email, it's forever. It almost forever. seems like it's common sense. I but was I just guess gonna say if that. you like, wanna update them. And I'm curious because not all companies, well, gen oh, let's say old age energy companies are probably still using email. Some might use Slack, Microsoft Teams. Yeah, Salesforce. Same thing. Yeah, and all that. I mean, like Salesforce Still messages. counts? Um, like a direct still message counts. in Slack. Like, Pick up the phone. <laughs> yeah. 
I know nobody likes to use the phone anymore, but really just pick up the phone and have a phone call. And also if you leave a voicemail, yeah, that's also discoverable. So just call and say, hey, and then maybe send me back. Call me when you get this. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to put, you know, the subject matter in. And that's particularly important, I think, for managers and things because, you know, and even just as any employee working for a company, you know, there's privilege concerns, right? Mm-hmm. So you're protected and your communications are protected if they're with a lawyer and you're getting advice. But, you know, the message to your like buddy down the hall, like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, in response to the lawsuit is not privileged (laughs) yeah but that brings up a good point which is get your attorneys on board asap yeah first thing you do when you get served with a lawsuit is get your attorney because that allows privilege to attach meaning attorney client privilege and work product is going to prevent a lot of things from being discoverable but you have to hire the attorney for that to apply right (laughs) so do that first also allow them to help you capture what it is you want and need to say to your employees. If you're the manager Mm -hmm. speaking to your sales force Mm -hmm. or your engineers out in the field or whatever, make sure that you run that by the attorney first so that nothing can get you in trouble later. And then similarly, if you're reporting up to a board, same thing, because privilege doesn't always attach to every single communication you have about a lawsuit. And so you need both of those things going in both directions to be exactly what you need them to be and nothing extra. It seems like when it comes to law trial aside, but just having a lawyer, whether it's in-house counsel or a service that you hire, I feel like it's always like better safe than sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, okay. yeah. I feel like as we've grown, we've started sending more and more things to our lawyers just to like, hey, can you put eyes on this? Yes. We just want to make sure and I would we're say, protected in the future. That's a perfect example of uh, one, an important point. And she said, you know, hiring counsel, that was so important. But even if your company, if you have in-house counsel, if your company has been sued and that isn't just because we're outside lawyers, it really is to protect the company. Yeah. But you really need the in-house lawyer really should not be, be the, handling right. the lawsuit. Mm. I mean, as a general matter, um, even if you think it's going to save you money, it can create a lot of issues. And yeah. generally, it, to your point, having independent eyes, mm-hmm. having somebody else looking at it. Um, and another point to Ashley's point, I would say is, so you hire lawyers, say maybe, you know, a little down the road, you realize maybe I made a mistake and I should have hired somebody else. Mm-hmm. You can change that. True. Yeah. Yeah. We, we come we in take all over. the time taking really? over. Ca- no, it, it does. It happens all the time. It's either not a good fit or the prior counsel isn't handling the case you want to have the case handled that way. And so you can reach out and find somebody else that's a better fit for you or is going to do things the way you want them done. It happens all the time. And maybe it's also yeah. because the case itself changes. Like you think this is a case that we're going to settle and then all of a sudden you're not and it's nasty and you may be going to have to have a trial. The lawyer who, you know, was maybe going to be the right lawyer you thought to get you to settlement or whatever isn't the right, right. lawyer to try the case. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think having an open mind that you're not somehow forever, you know, married to that decision and, mm-hmm. or even adding additional lawyers who can add something else to the team. And we work yeah. with other firms all the time. And mm-hmm. um, I enjoy those, uh, that actually the most is having, you know, co-counsel. So, yeah. Yeah. Fun. And you have different skill sets. Every attorney right. has different skill sets, just like everybody out in the workforce has different skill sets. And yeah. sometimes you need to rely on one for one set right. of issues and another for different issues. No, that yeah. makes sense. So then moving on from, I guess, like you received a lawsuit, mm-hmm. a tip, like one topic that comes up a lot and I think is confusing for people because 
you really never see any TV shows about right. this, but is the deposition. And if anybody, you know, maybe has been divorced or something like that, they may <laughs> at least have an idea of what that means. But it's you're asked to say you have to go under oath. There's a court reporter there and the lawyer for the other side gets to ask you questions. You have to give testimony that's basically the same as any testimony you would give in court, meaning like under penalty of perjury. Yeah. So obviously it's serious and it's really stressful when it relates to your job. Is this mm -hmm. like step one? Like you get served a lawsuit. Step one is it? That's probably like step two or three. Okay. But it's very early on in the process and yeah. it'll go for probably like a year because you don't. A it year? is called discovery. Mm -hmm. And so that Jeez. includes depositions, which is talking to people under oath. And it includes also gathering documents, right. sharing mm -hmm. documents, exchanging documents, which we can talk about, too. But the scariest, at least from, you know, you're working at an energy company, running an energy company is, uh, I mean, I and we know this because we have to talk to these guys all the time. Yeah. They're like, oh, do I have, like, oh, I have to give a deposition. And then if it's about my job, like, what if I say the wrong thing? Mm -hmm. And can I say I don't know? Like, if they're asking me something about my job or about the company, like, should I, like, if I say I don't know, am I going to be in trouble in can my job? Can you say I don't know? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I will say I don't know all the time. Absolutely. Please don't, say I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm joking. But I mean, <laughs> but truthfully, and this, uh, this goes to our point on, you know, kind of the deposition process that, okay, you or, or your company, you have to give depositions in a lawsuit. You know, you as the individual are entitled to be prepared and your lawyer should be preparing you. Right. And making you feel comfortable. And I would always tell witnesses and people listening that forever ask questions. Mm-hmm ask questions and specifically like you can say you don't know you're not there and this is my biggest tip to people who find themselves in the position of having to give a deposition either for their current employer or relating to their former employment and like you know kind of energy trials we have um you aren't you aren't going to win the case for the company so don't try yeah mm -hmm. i always right? tell like, people you can't it's kind yeah. of like stay you in your lane not lose yeah, yeah right. the job is to not lose yeah yeah it's not to win. You're not going to like score any points. So you don't have to know everything. It doesn't I have don't, to be perfect. I don't know yeah. is a very appropriate question. If it wasn't within your line of command, like within your scope of duty, something you did, a document that you are familiar with, mm -hmm. you don't know. Mm -hmm. Because the guessing is what they, you know, a lot of the times you're trying to get the person to over offer or talk about things that maybe they don't, don't really know about. about. Yeah. Right. And that was like, I feel like that's what people like slip up and like offer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm little information they probably yeah because it's awkward be just like in this podcast yeah. if all of a sudden we if i was supposed to be talking to you guys and we both just sat back and stopped <laughs> talking yeah and looked i feel at like you. people get nervous and they just talk like aren't you gonna say something and i've asked you about your job and you're like i would i don't know and say yeah i'd be like um right? uh, yeah i mean I don't know, but I will tell you yeah. <laughs> right and, I'm like, and then i and then if you say i don't know and i act incredulous about it like <laughs> you don't know You've been at the company and then they, for you, and years. And then we sit back. You're yeah. going to be like, well, maybe I don't know. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That's, that, that's Is that tactics they like use? Uh -huh. Like oh, yeah. a lot of facial and, okay. There's I use silence. Mm -hmm. You can use incredulousness. You can use. Just staring the, at them. Staring like, at them and not saying anything. Acting like you're reading from a document when you're really not so that they're nervous. This they're sounds like, oh. so scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It makes it's me like, so are uncomfortable. you sure you have never said. And, you know, and then they're like, oh, my God, they're reading from something. So I've definitely said that. <laughs> but God. usually I don't play those kind of games. Like if I am reading from a document, I'm reading from a document. Um, but, you know, you do want people to talk. I mean, the, is right. to get the witness to talk. You need yeah. to know everything that. 
they could say at trial. And it doesn't mean it's all going to be used, right? Yeah. The lawyers will fight about that later. The lawyer fights are really the most entertaining mm -hmm. part of deposition. So <laughs> yeah. I would say if you find yourself at least know if maybe if we're involved, I don't know, in our kind of, <laughs> yeah. in our kind of cases, is at least probably going to maybe be entertaining. <laughs> I will say, but it's going to be tiring too. A deposition yeah. is very tiring. It's seven hours on the record oh, and you geez. take breaks. So it's wow. actually more like eight and a half, nine or 10, yeah. depending on how many breaks you uh, do, take. Do witnesses come and go? No. Or they say they it's one person <gasps> in the chair for seven, seven hours, hours on the record. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I I hope we How never many, get sued. I know. <laughs> I can't even imagine being asked. I mean, do you ask, you have seven hours worth of questions or you just keep. It depends. Not like, always. Like, so I've had, I, I tend to use all my time, <laughs> but I have had witnesses where it's like maybe four hours. But yeah. if it's like an expert on like yeah. a smaller issue or if it's a third party or somebody who's like not so much involved but typically like there is a lot to go through at least in our cases i mean you're mm -hmm. talking about i mean i don't remember how many hundreds I, I don't know how many gigs or whatever of documents in like a recent class action i had but you're talking about they can't even be put on hard drives i mean Jeez, massive wow. amounts of data and stuff so um just dealing with a lot of information and so it's really detail oriented of course so and then i would say if in the deposition context if you're in the company position Say you're the VP of land, right? And you're asked by the in-house lawyer, hey, we need to find somebody in land who can testify about, you know, these leases yeah. or, you know, whatever. It, then there's the decision. And I think that that's the decision you talk about with your lawyers. Mm -hmm. But who should give that deposition? You know, yeah. you have I to mean, choose wisely. Yeah. yeah. Is it the land man who like actually went out and negotiated the lease? Is that actually the best person? Um, should it be the VP of land and maybe speaking more for the land department as a whole or you know is it really important to have you know that land man's testimony about his personal discussions with the landowner right mm -hmm. it depends and that's always the lawyer answer but being thoughtful about who is yeah. giving yeah. a deposition because you want somebody that's going to be able to answer questions right. correctly not volunteer too much not want right. to fill the silence with stuff that may or may not be relevant and so you do have yeah. to usually interview a variety of people before you settle on, okay, I think this one is the best person for the job, right. at least for this case. Unless it's a case where it's like your all, like royalty cases that I do, upstream cases. I mean, there's, you know, the accountant at the company who handles, you know, the calculation and payment of royalties, right? That guy, like, he's that guy. Yeah, he's <laughs> basically the guy. case. Yeah. And, like, yeah. it becomes a joke. But that's the other thing with clients that is really interesting and helpful is, like, you can um, really help your employees and your colleagues and um, explain the litigation. I I had one time, and this guy, he's just fantastic and is now like controller, you know, of a, a independent oil and gas producer. But he, I was, I finally explained, I got him on the phone. And sometimes that's hard as an outside counsel to get one-on-one -on -one with, mm -hmm. you know, just like a business guy at the company. But the company was like, yeah, no, talk to him. And I explained what we were trying to prove. So it was like historical payments and, you know, what we were looking for. And he was like, oh, yeah, no, but those wouldn't be there. I didn't know that we were trying to prove payments from this period. I can find those. Let me mm -hmm. get that for you. And within like an hour, I had a spreadsheet like proving, you know, the lesson being like, you know, have faith in your own, like give them some contacts around like what do we need to show as a company and like what and it because they are, can be so helpful mm -hmm. like people in different departments in and different things in charge of different records right. or you know maybe it's just having more historical knowledge if it's 
a company or you know that's been around a long time right they've gone through different systems mm -hmm. different management right so having people who know where you know older records are records that are hard to find so i don't know i i but i thought i was just so impressed by that and and i think um, it goes both ways right so it's important for the lawyers to ask good questions yeah. of of the team that's involved in the lawsuit at the actual company so that we get the information we need to be able to defend mm -hmm. whoever it might be. But at the same time, I think it's also important for the people at the company to ask questions too so that they understand from the lawyers what matters and what's important. Right. And, and you know, there's obviously a meeting in the middle where everybody gets to understand what matters, where the documents are, don't delete anything. That's probably another thing we should talk about. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask about that. Like, I know companies have different, they use different tools to store mm -hmm. data and files and things. And is there a time frame in which there's a safe zone? Or do you really recommend like, don't ever delete anything, like back everything up so that as far as it can go back, it goes back. So if you find yourself well, in a situation where you need something from, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you've got it. So if you the rule is if you're anticipating being involved in a litigation, you need to stop or suspend any data destruction protocols that you have. Otherwise that relate to yeah. the litigation. Yeah. Right. So communicate. I mean, you know, not your normal, you know, auto delete, whatever can mm -hmm. can go on as long. But you have to segregate. And so a lot of mm -hmm. time that's identifying custodians, but mm -hmm. meaning the individuals within the company that are going to have relevant communications and typically it's like freezing their inboxes or et cetera. So there's ways to do it, right? you know, to where you're not like freezing everything, but it can be complicated and it needs an assessment on the front end and fast. Yeah. And there are a bunch of companies that we work with all the time that actually do this whole process to make sure that documents are collected in a mm -hmm. way that we can use them in a litigation. You have to maintain the metadata, meaning all the stuff that tells you when the file was created, when it was last modified, who created right. it, who yeah. modified it. All of those things have to be maintained as well. And so there's companies that specialize in this that that make it as seamless as possible, mm -hmm. as painless as possible. It's never painless, but uh, you know, <laughs> at least they try and get it out right. of the way pretty quick so that it's not something you're dealing with every day. Yeah. And then of course, apart from the litigation itself and like what may be preserved, there's different laws that apply, especially in oil and gas and the kind of cases in my clients, um, different state laws sometimes about how mm. long they have to maintain lease files. <clears throat> oh, so okay. even apart from you know litigation, there are certain obligations on at least energy companies and those remitting royalties mm -hmm. or who have landowners um, in maintaining certain files. So sometimes, you know, that's kind of even outside the litigation, but worth knowing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and I mean, gathering documents is another big topic that we were going to talk about. And that kind of relates to, again, what Ashley was talking about, which is a lot of times referred to as a litigation hold. Mm -hmm. So when you get sued, the company will send um, to the people that it were that were involved yeah. in the subject matter, whether it was a project, contract, whatever, um, an email typically, and it includes a hold notice saying like, we believe there's going to be this litigation, this is the subject matter, and that you would have communications, do not, it has very specific instructions, like, and they have to mm -hmm. respond affirmatively that they will abide by, I mean, it's very serious. Um, I would there's be like so big afraid. time consequences yeah. if stuff gets deleted, a court can say, yeah. we can assume that whatever was going to be in that document was right. bad for you. Yeah. And so we can instruct the jury to assume that. I and would be so, so afraid I would really accidentally. I know. Delete, I know. Just like in my day to day, like workflow, accidentally delete something. I know. And the thing is that a lot of companies, you know, that 
we represent, not all, but a lot of them, they have IT departments mm-hmm. and they, it's like handled <clears throat> internally and mm-hmm. an electronic fashion that, um, yeah. you know, that thankfully we don't really have to worry too much about. Um, but, you know, the other way of getting documents we haven't talked about is by subpoena. And so that's a word that people will hear a lot. Yeah. Or maybe a person who has the misfortune of receiving a subpoena. <laughs> um, and a subpoena can ask for documents and sometimes the deposition. But typically, you know, if you're being subpoenaed, a lot of the times, and I've this happens a lot, but energy companies will receive them. Mm-hmm. So your company is being subpoenaed maybe for records um, for use in somebody else's lawsuit. Mm. And so you can imagine that's kind of scary. Yeah. But you also sometimes think, and I've seen this and heard this um, and talking to clients about actually their best practices because um, one of the major oil and gas producers, has, I mean, if they receive a third party subpoena outside counsel, mm-hmm. not in-house is handling it. Mm-hmm. Um, if the company is being subpoenaed, somebody else's dispute, just because you can get in, maybe end up like getting yourself involved. Yeah. And also there's there's other issues. So if the, you get a subpoena asking you for all of these documents, which sometimes in my cases, maybe, um, you know, you're getting a subpoena as a company and they want all of your sales contracts for like certain volumes of either gas or NGLs or whatever under like NASB contracts, which are like standard, you know, of the sales contracts and upstream and downstream only gas, right? Those are confidential. Everybody knows they typically always contain confidentiality provisions and they all contain, in my experience, sometimes different, like you have to give notice Mm -hmm. before you disclose a document. So the thing is you want a lawyer before you go produce documents in response to a subpoena, you do have to worry about you know, are you breaching obligations mm, right, to your company to to other parties yeah. to those mm-hmm. if it's contracts? Like, what about the other party to that agreement? Are they OK with right. you giving this right. contract? Are you even allowed to? Mm-hmm. What happens contract? if they're not? They just can't hand it over. I mean, we've I, we have actually had to respond to requests stating that we could not that mm-hmm. the agreement that they were requesting said absolutely under no conditions do you disclose it it would require a court order and typically wow. a court will not order yeah um, yeah it depends on the language of the contract some of them are like you have to give us at least 10 days notice and if you don't hear from us then you're free to disclose it mm. or we the company that doesn't want to disclose has to file a motion for protection within the court saying we don't want to produce mm-hmm. it or Sometimes it's the other way around where the party requesting it has to file a motion to compel the document be mm-hmm. produced. And at that point, once you have a court order, that usually is is enough to get the document if uh, if you have to go that far. But you really do want an outside lawyer to that point, um, as you can imagine, making the evaluation of do we need to move to protect some of the, the documents mm-hmm. that they're asking for. Um, and you want to generally be cooperative. Of course, you can get in trouble. If you receive yeah. a subpoena, you just ignore it. So don't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you also have to respond pretty quickly. So you you don't get your subpoena and then you go, OK, I'll think about that later. And then you put it off to the side and don't think about it for a month because then your deadlines have passed and then you can't yes. object. You can have sanctions assessed against you. Jeez. So it, it's important that you actually when you get a subpoena, you you look at it and respond. do something with yeah. it pretty quickly. <laughs> The other tip, I guess, I would say is if you get a subpoena and it relates to, say, your former employment. Oh, that's a good. Call the former, your former employer's lawyers. They're going to be listed on the subpoena. (laughs) 
call them before you do really anything else. If it relates to the same subject matter as your current employment, I would also inform my current employer that mm-hmm. I had received a subpoena about you know my former employment. But um, definitely call them before anything else because the other thing is depending on the agreements that you may have signed when you leave mm-hmm. a company, um, you don't want to misstep and breach you know those agreements with your former employer. And you also, if you can avoid getting involved, right? Avoid getting involved. <laughs> yeah. So, and they may be, they may be able to just talk to you and ascertain you don't have any helpful information and convince the other side that they don't really need to talk to you. Yeah. So this is really helpful. I think like it sounds like a puzzle. Like yeah. do this before this and this and check this box and like you don't really think about getting sued ever and like mm-hmm. what this steps that I feel like that's why for me like anything around this is very overwhelming because I'm like there's so many mm-hmm. things that you mm-hmm. just as a, a random person not an attorney don't know uh, so this is very very helpful yeah. do you have yeah do you have the, more tips well I, I was just going to probably lay out how the course of a lawsuit works oh, yeah. for people that don't I know so that. you can yeah. yeah know that okay this is the thing that happens immediately this thing is two years down the line yeah. so lawsuits can vary in length I would say mine are typically two to four years long Jeez. And, you know, it really does depend. I've yeah. had one that's pending for seven years, and I know that oh Lauren spans God. the full like mine are, I feel well. like mine are on average over five. <laughs> yeah. When you think wow. about, like, the the average person in any job role, especially, I mean, I'm turning 33. You're turning 33. So, like, I think people our age, you know, millennials are job hopping so much. Like, people rarely even stay in jobs longer than maybe two or three years, and that you know, on y'all's end, you have cases that are five, five to, to seven, seven years long. <laughs> yep, yeah. The the witness may turn into a third party halfway through, which yeah, can have disastrous yeah. consequences too. So if you think about that long time span of how long a lawsuit can be pending. So the first thing is you get served with that lawsuit. You need to immediately contact your lawyer and start right. figuring things out. And you immediately need to stop any document destruction mm-hmm. policies that you have in place. Then shortly after that, discovery begins that's the depositions and the document collection process that usually goes on for a long long time and then towards the end you have something called summary judgment which is basically you telling the court a jury doesn't need to hear this it's so cut and dry you can just decide it judge and then if that doesn't work you end up at trial Mm -hmm. So that that's kind of at a high level. And then how long stages. does the tr- actual trial last? Oh gosh, Ooh, it can be it can be you know if you're in a little misdemeanor court, which I don't ever do those, but if you're in a little misdemeanor court, that it's usually like a half day trial. Yeah, okay. my trials typically last a week or two weeks, mm-hmm. but they can go up to a month or longer. Yeah. Just wow. kind of I feel like the shortest trial I've had is a week. Yeah, yeah. I've had two and a half weeks trial and then the jury took over two weeks <laughs> to I can't imagine that I've never back. had a jury come back more mm-hmm. than like a couple of hours and it was later. so funny how, because how every day I would come long? in I'd be like this jury has been deliberating this many more hours than the OJ Simpson jury did <laughs> and everybody was like thanks for that Lauren <laughs> Wait, that's great stat that's helpful yeah. why would it like how long would they get forever if they just like couldn't come yeah to at a some point is the judge decision? like they usually will send a note being like, is there an, or the judge will kind of check in, is there an issue? And they were, and that was not the case. But anyway, it was, it was really, it was really crazy. But then I've had somewhere they're out for maybe an hour mm-hmm. and you're like, whoa, how did they talk about <laughs> anything? It's interesting. So do they, 
if they like two weeks long, they're leaving and coming back. I thought you couldn't do that. Like I thought you had to decide in that room. So like outside media, whatever. Yeah. Can't so you've still been instructed by the judge that you're not supposed to Google anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, don't right. check social media. Yeah. You're allowed to go and sleep in your own bed. But for the most part, you shouldn't talk about the case. And then you, you shouldn't like shouldn't drive it. by if it's a site like for us, it's like an oil and gas lease or certain wells that, it, you know, like don't go see the site. You're not supposed to do like your own investigation. But I'm they all. I mean, yeah, like how can you yeah, not they check social They're not supposed to go and Google the lawyers. Yeah. And I'm like 100% positive they do. Because yeah. I will come back and see people look at like, I'm like, yeah, they looked us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's funny. Do you but, feel yeah. like, and I don't even know if you have an answer for this, but I would think if I was a juror on some sort of energy trial, just knowing how many people don't know anything about energy, I feel like it could be very overwhelming. Yeah. That's our job, though. We teach it in bite-sized yeah. ways with oh, lots yeah. of fun graphics and things to make it both interesting and fun to learn because that's the best thing you can do is teach a jury Educate. why yeah. you should win. Mm-hmm. So when they go back for two weeks into that jury room to <laughs> yeah. deliberate, you have an advocate on your side. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, remember, she said X, Y, Z. Don't and you I remember am that like, chart I, or that graphic? And I'm just such a believer in the trial process mm-hmm. and that a jury, if if provided the information like given you know both sides stories will generally come to the right conclusion Mm -hmm. if they're allowed to see everything and so um but having so much faith in that and to me i'm always like we're gonna do the coloring book of this case yeah and i like storytelling i'm big on like kind of johnny cochran but like kind of kind of rhymey things like colloquialism themes you know what so I mean? They and repetition, right? Saying. And then yes. looping, right? But, you know, you know your client's story and you're there to tell the story. And yes, you're going to do so through, you know, maybe what are kind of boring looking documents or whatever. But the story itself isn't boring, right? Yeah. And we're going to bring it to life. And end, if you can teach a jury, like they get to go home to their family and they, they've learned something they didn't know before. They like that. Yeah. And they feel empowered by that. And I actually do think a lot of people are interested in oil and gas. Oh, absolutely. Especially in the places yeah. we're trying cases. Like, That's you know, what I was going to ask. The location really yeah. depends on Like West Virginia, how, like yeah. P- Pennsylvania, yeah. Texas. Yeah. Like people, these are places like with oil and gas industries. Yeah. And you'll see them sitting there sometimes like, well, because lots yeah, of people gone, don't know, know kind of, you hear the words fracking or downhole tools or mm-hmm. slick water and all of these things that are used to actually get things up out of the ground. Yeah. And nobody knows what those are and you can actually paint a picture physically show them the device show them how it works and Mm -hmm. it's fascinating for most folks because you're never if you're not in the industry you're never going to know what that is unless somebody teaches Mm -hmm. it to you and then sometimes they're really surprised too because a lot at least in defending energy companies a lot of times there's what we believe are crazy allegations of fraud or different like conspiratorial type conduct and you know it's a kind of eye-opening I think for the jury sometimes because a lot of times we run through you know companies audits right how many times they're audited all of the rules and regulations that apply to energy companies and every single thing that they're doing every governmental agency so I mean I think they're like oh I mean just from a common sense perspective start some of the conspiracy or like you know thoughts just Mm -hmm. naturally right kind of fade away and I think that juries are actually surprised by that when they leave yeah that's really interesting. I actually want to be a juror now. <laughs> I, all, I want to, too. Let's try to get on the jury. Every I know. time I get I, called for jury duty, they end up, like, suddenly I get an email or whatever a day before. And they're like, you don't have to come in tomorrow. I've never gotten oh. called 
for jury I've duty. never gotten called either. And I think the one time I did, I had a baby. So I like, yeah. I had my out. But right. I did teen court. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. High school. And I love that. But that's a little different. It wasn't it. I think I got called like three times in like one summer. I was like, I must be at the top of their list. Like it was, you know, nothing for 20 years. And all of a sudden, like three in a row. I'm like, can y'all leave me alone? You know what would really be fun? And if I ever get a chance to do is I'm going to sign up to be like a mock juror. Oh, so in our cases, a lot of times we'll have like a mock mm-hmm. trial. Of the case, can we and come be pay, my? You oh pay my God, people. Uh, we want to pay come. people. We'll yeah, be your you mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, to come in and they'll sit as a jury. They deliberate. A lot of times, you'll maybe even have more than one jury. I have one where we had like four simultaneous juries, and they would break out into the wow. rooms, and you can listen. Oh, it's sometimes it's so funny. That is because so they'll talk cool. about you. Yeah, yeah. Learn about your clients. And we're like, oh, uh, it's yeah, but it's funny. You learn the most about your case though when you're doing a mock trial like that because you have your theme and your story and your documents that you want to show people. And it it may go over great, right? But it may not. You're like, oh, you like find totally, holes in your story. Like they're yeah. totally confused. Like they yeah. missed that totally. Like I had it's like oh, related to oil and gas in Syria, and like one jury just kept being like, "Where is the Syrian government? Why are they not here?" And we're like, <laughs> like it was a question like we never. Why would you be asking that? But yeah. it like raised a point in our minds that maybe we needed to explain. You know that it didn't like that it didn't to a real jury that like it doesn't involve them and they're not here and if even if we wanted them here like good luck getting them here just to eliminate any idea yeah so it kind of can show you some of the crazy things yeah or ways things can go off track and so you can know to stop them right to keep them on the right track yeah yeah well this kind of ties into like before we wrap up I want to know some like some of your favorite stories I know you can't divulge anything confidential but. You know anything crazy that's happened at trial or Ooh, my my any, favorite, any good stories. <laughs> my favorite was that we were waiting for a jury to come back, and we were the plaintiff, and we were asking for over a hundred million dollars, and um, I, I was the one that put on the damages expert to make sure that all the calculations, the jury believed them, and that it was exactly what we were entitled to. And during deliberations, the jury sent out a note and asked if they could give us more than what we had asked for. <laughs> they oh were like 100 million isn't enough we think that they deserve more and this yeah. and the wow. best part of these kind of stories and i wasn't involved in this case but the best part of it is when the judge gets a note from the jury what he does is he calls everybody because you know you're waiting nervously and then he calls everybody and he's like we have a note from the jury so everybody's like oh so all the lawyers run in and then can you imagine on <laughs> the other side more. they're like they want to know if they can give them more money on the other side you're like <laughs> how do you not react did you react I would be like, I would scream, I think, in like a good way. Well, we always tell people when you're at trial, you have to maintain a poker face the whole time because the jury's looking. So even if you get stabbed in the heart with some like bad document or testimony, do not make a face because that just telegraphs what really happened in case they didn't catch it. And especially as a woman, I'm going to be honest, because a lot of the times we're the only woman presenting in the trial as an attorney. And it's just true that when you're different, there's just more attention paid to uh, you yeah yeah and particularly facial expressions things like that mm-hmm. um so y'all so, are really good at like not having facial. no i have no poker face That's okay so i'm like i feel like i'm always <laughs> the one who like the jury was like would look at me because i'd be like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i mean you know but, but like at times like that like with the question or something and i particularly like when the jury comes back i always am telling everybody i'm like we make no reaction do not yeah. say anything you just keep your head down whatever you know and you know so there's definitely certain times when you don't but I'm not the best poker face she knows that so I can't lie in front of her um my stories are so insane that it's hard to even know where to begin um but um 
including ones that made national news because the guy that held us up at trial. But putting aside, oh, I, I remember that the guy that brought a gun to the trial. Yes, yeah, and um, and th- so that was probably the craziest. The crazy um, night. and I hope the craziest that I ever have. But I will say, arguing um for the that we believed the judge had a conflict, and this oh. was in a different case, um, in a very rural area. We had to go and argue to that judge why we believed he was conflicted out. And he was he had spoken to the media and like he hated us, like hated us. And the tension in the room, it was just, I'll never forget how tense of a situation it was. But one thing that I will always stand out to me is so we were the defendants lawyers. So the plaintiff's lawyers in the cases were coming in. No, judge, you're so fair. There's no conflict. Right. The plaintiff's lawyer shows up with a tie covered in fake dollar bills. <laughs> Why? Which is like allegedly kind of like a sign of a bra. It's like known oh. as like the money tie, meaning like huh. bribery. And he shows up to the DQ hearing like, you're not conflicted judge with this money tie on. And I was just like, how inappropriate. It was just so insane. That's so weird. And so crazy, like stuff like that. But yeah, the one where we waited like two and a half weeks for the jury was one of the craziest. We were playing Uno. I mean, you run yeah. out of things to do. Like, and yeah, so did you guys just show up every day? Every day. It would be like out. eight to five. And we're like, suit. oh my God, how are we going to kill all yeah. of these hours Jeez. today? Yeah, you're not even allowed to like show up comfortable. Wait, yeah. back, back, back to the judge. Who is like, who's over that? Like who, how can you like, how can a judge hold? Is it the judge? How can the judge be like, like okay, right. yeah, I'm myself? Oh, I know. That was really what they they made us do, and um, and then it went up to a judge on the higher court who okay. decided it. And and on with that judge, they agreed that he should be disqualified. I mean, in during the hearing, he compared um our team, so counsel and my client, as a murderous orphan who has come in asking for leniency. And I was like, what? very confused as to who was the dad that is and how we killed him. But I I mean, these were the kinds of things where I'm just like, that's I mean, aggressive. How, yeah, how do you keep your face? I mean, I think I was just like, because I'm like, who's the, who's the dad? Like, I mean, who were our parents that we killed? Him? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It was so weird. Um, but so funny things like that. Uh, and those are some of the, but waiting that jury to come back for so long. And then the glory of that one was they came back. They did um, have a number in the blank. But what a lot of the times people don't get is like the jury charge and the questions are really complicated. Okay. Yeah. There are questions in there that will sometimes mean even if you are awarded money, you're not getting any money. Mm. Like statute of limitations like if you should have known something a certain amount of time before so we had questions on there that were like when should they have known or like Mm. did they know by then so those questions and my hands were shaking i was so excited because i knew by those answers the rest didn't matter yeah Mm -hmm. because they should have known their that means their claim was barred meaning they get zero yeah and so then they get to the number blanks though and she still reads you know the answer of like how much money was awarded well the other side the plaintiffs are like freaking out they're not lawyers they don't understand they they're money. not getting anything. And you can see their lawyers are like, they're like, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so it was a win, but man, a painful one of waiting two and a half weeks. Yeah. Before, so anyway, but I love, we love talking to you all. Thank yeah. So yeah. Let's Thank wrap you. up with um, two important questions. Number one, what do you guys think is the most common? We usually ask like the most common misconception in energy, but I would say for this, for this podcast, the most common misconception as it relates to like energy law. Ooh. Um, a common mis- 
conception from, I guess, whose point of view. I will sometimes say from, you know, the energy company's point of view, the idea that you can just settle, yeah, you know, litigation instead of having to try cases and that is maybe a, a um, sustainable strategy mm -hmm. because in my experience, it does not, not work out yeah. that way. I was, I was going to say almost uh, the same thing, which is you may have to take a certain position or produce certain information in a case, not for that case, but because it could have long-standing consequences for other cases for years to come. So it's like we have gotcha. to we have to turn off the water tap now yeah, because yeah. otherwise we're going to have a flood of things later. And so it's really important to figure out, OK, we're about to get hit with 15 of these lawsuits. What do I need to do now in the first one to make the next 14 right. more That's manageable really or yeah. cut them off? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're copycats. I mean, like plaintiffs, sure. they, they do. They file certain lawsuits, wait and see how they go. And then, you know, they do generally work together. The plaintiffs weren't. And not that we aren't on the plaintiff side of cases too, but um, at least in, you know, upstream litigation against energy companies, those guys typically talk, they work together, they know, you know, they're hearing what different, ex what arguments mm -hmm. are working and, um, and that's true in the climate litigation too. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of changing arguments, trying to see what's going to work. Mm -hmm. And I would say though, the other thing is just thinking, I'm not going to tell my lawyers about thing X because it shouldn't really matter and I don't want to have to talk about it. And it inevitably will become the focus of yeah. the trial. Yeah. And it's like, I can't help you avoid the landmine if I don't know it's there. So right, you have right. got to tell me, we're your lawyers. Everything is confidential. Please, please just be 100% open and honest. Because we can oftentimes make a plan. Right. That will eventually avoid the issue you're worried about. Mm -hmm. But I guarantee you, if we don't know about it, it is nearly impossible to avoid yeah. it. Mm -hmm. All right. Last question. Why should we care? The listeners, the general energy professional population, why should we care about energy law? It affects everything you do every day. I mean, there's just no getting around it, whether it's yeah. regulations or whether it's you're getting sued oh, yeah. or we whether you touch on regulations. True. Yeah. It, it affects everything you do every yeah. day. And I think uh, I would say that given where we're at, you know, near, I guess, the end of what you could say, the shell revolution, you know, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of transition in the energy industry, but the changing so social, mm -hmm. economic, political pressure for sure um, is making it's more costly, right, oh, um, yeah. to do business um, and to make a profit, you know, for your shareholders and, and to maintain a robust business for your employees um and the environment may but i will say that not keeping tabs on litigation and fighting when you need to fight to stop the bleeding will and i have seen it will bankrupt your company Jeez, in combination terrifying. in combination with everything else if you right. don't and if you are in a certain state or region and you start paying in your deep pockets they will try to mm. bleed you dry yeah they will. Yeah. It'll be death by a thousand cuts, but yeah, it, it just still like ultimately results in the, the death of the company. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. I know. This is fun. So Y'all will have fun. to come back and yeah. we'll do another topic. I yeah. love this. Yeah. yeah. It's well, so and we also, um, we do an event called Energy Tech Night. Um, it's for energy tech startups. We actually are doing one in Fort Worth. 
oh, this I'm year. In. So we'll make sure to send you guys the info so you guys can come hang out. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Always yeah. so fun. Thank you all so Thanks. much. Awesome. awesome. Thanks for coming. Bye. Bye.